my new podcasting microphone was supposed to be here on Friday. Yeah. It's still not here. So one more outburst like that, I'm going to have to strangle you with my microphone cord. <laughs> That's my message that to UPS. Oh. <laughs> That's a good one. Want to hear how dumb I am? Um, sure. You know, I was just shaking my head like an idiot. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I just launched one of my headphones. I don't know where. <laughs> <laughs> Tis not good. All right, we need a little, little clean up here. Lip, hold on. like we never left flippy back like we never left we are here with a new episode of the lights out pitching podcast i am your host isaac lipper here with my co-host james joseph mulry the third how are we doing today mm-hmm. jumsy doing great lip beautiful day here in north jersey sun oh, shining yeah. birds are chirping and we're doing another podcast sounds like uh sounds like golf weather to me oh yeah because well, there's no better uh, pastime for a pitcher uh, other than striking dudes out than getting on the golf course and uh, pretending like we know what we're doing. Absolutely. Pretend yeah. is a big word there. Big word. Unless you're a member of the 90s uh, Braves pitching staff who are all, you know, like scratch golfers and they showed up to the field once every five days and shoved and then would shoot yeah, 70s on the course. Yeah. Because they weren't talented enough in other areas yeah, of life. Like, like save some talent for the rest of us, please. Unbelievable. Please. Well, a lot of really cool stuff has happened in the baseball world since the last time we talked. And I think um, we'd be doing our listeners, our tens of listeners, a disservice if the first thing we didn't talk about was Jack Leiter's no-hitter and just how incredibly stupid the Vanderbilt pitching staff is right now. I've been in the fandom of Vanderbilt baseball for probably 15 years now, ever since a friend of mine uh, played there for a year when I was in high school and I instantly gravitated towards Vanderbilt baseball. Uh, You know, I have a personal connection. Scott Brown, their pitching coach, um, was my pitching coach at St. John's for the short time that I spent there. So always root for them. But I mean, You've got two dudes in Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker who are both going to be top five all-around picks this year in the draft. And I went ahead and I did a little math, Jonesy. Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter, we're just going to look at their stat line combined. Mm-hmm. Combined, they have 10 starts, 60 innings yep. total. So you're talking about six innings a start on average. Yep. They have let up a combined, a combined three earned runs in 60 innings. They have a combined 97 strikeouts in 60 innings. And they have a combined 18 hits allowed in 60 innings. So, I mean, I've loved, I remember seeing Kumar Rocker on the draft board in high school and thinking this dude is the truth. 
I try to watch him pitch every time. He threw that no-hitter in um, the, what, what was it, the Super Regional, the College World Series a few years ago. That was just absolutely ridiculous. Now Jack Leiter yeah. comes in with a with a with a no hitter. What was what was it? Uh, Fifteen strikeouts. How many strikeouts? I think it was. Have? I think it was sixteen. Lippy. Unbelievable. So Wild so uh, you said what? Ten starts, sixty innings. Yeah. What was the first number after the sixty innings? When I asked, did they, three, did they break it? Three earned runs. Yeah. So I, so at that point, I asked if they broke it, and then I how mean, many strikeouts? How many strikeouts? 97. And that's where I said they broke it. Yeah. No, like, (laughs) is that good? Did they break it? Like, are you, like, what the, like, unbelievable. Wild. It's unfair. unfair. I mean, you're talking about dudes who could legitimately, you know, if the clubs that draft them want, they're big league ready. You don't see it very often. And then, you, you know, you see all this, this bullshit with like, you know, time, service time manipulation and uh, the former uh, president of operations of the Seattle Mariners, you know, talking about how they do manipulate time and this and that. And, mm-hmm. you know, you don't know if you see, if you'll see these guys go right to the bigs, you know, um, David Price was another guy out of Vanderbilt. He was the first all around pick who, who could have been in the bigs two, two seconds later. And he wasn't, you don't see it very often, but I mean, these are dudes who could, who could legitimately pitch in September, October of this coming fall in the major leagues. They're that good. Yeah. You know, you're talking about these guys and, and being big league ready name that really stands out for me is, is, I don't know if you remember him, Brandon Finnegan. Oh yeah. Played in the 2014, 2014 college world series at TCU left-handed pitcher. You know, we're not a left-handed pitcher podcast. People are going to start. Thinking <laughs> oh, that we after we should be honestly. <laughs> it's but, unbelievable. Yeah, first player um, in ba- first player to pitch in a college world series and a world series in the same year. Just absolutely ridiculous. And I think I remember that being a particularly young world series. Who was that against? I think Mm -hmm. the Mets they played. Um, Yeah. Royals. I, I, uh, that was a really young world series. Was it 14 or 15? It was 14. It was 14. Um, I remember there was like, I think it was like 30% of the guys, something like that, give or take. I could be totally off, but there was like a high number of guys in that World Series who had played in the Cape Cod League within like the last five years or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, which is which is a fun fun one to watch. You, you say, you know, the left-handed pitchers podcast. I mean, episode one, you and me, left-handed pitchers. Episode two, yes. Steve Grunberg, left-handed pitcher. Our guest today, left-handed. It is. Uh, we're gonna have to start shaking it up. Our next guest, I think, is gonna be a righty, but we've got another one in line who I believe is was Ronnie a lefty. Yep. So I mean, I think four of our first five episodes are gonna be lefties only. Sorry, guys. Um, but let's get to um, let's get to our shout-outs of the week here. Yeah, my my shout-out of the week is uh, Trey Mancini. You know, he's oh, coming. Oh. I, you know, a year after a cancer diagnosis, was out of baseball last year. Uh, just the other day, hit his first home run back, which was like a big stepping stone for him. Uh, I mean, he's hitting great. He's hitting sitting three fourteen in his first uh, what thirty five at bats or so. Yeah, but that was that, his um, first extra base. That was his first extra base hit, and and you know, looking at a couple of a couple of things he said about it, like he finally feels like he's getting back to it. We talk a little bit a lot of bit about this uh about a mentality going into the game and you know when when asked do you feel like you're not ready and he said if i wasn't ready i wouldn't be here yeah 
So it's just kind of like a, a cool little little look into his mind and, and a, a mentality that we want our guys to to take and us personally, you know, to take the field with that mentality is I'm here because I'm meant to be here. I love that that's your kind of reason for giving him a shout out, that mentality, because my shout out of the week is also based on a mentality thing. Marcus Stroman. Um, love Marcus Stroman. Um, first of all, I think just shout out in general, not even of just the week, but I mean, he's so transparent, whether it's on social media or in interviews. And I think, you know, you talk about um, wanting to grow the game of baseball and, you know, players needing to make themselves marketable or whatever. That's a dude who doesn't really hold back, but he's not a, he's not a jackass about it either. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's just very clear. He's very active about, um, you know, social justice and some of the inequalities going on, um, you know, and turmoil in our society. And he's very open about it. He's not scared to be a, a professional baseball player and an activist at the same time. But I mean, you want to talk about mentality, um, you know, that at bat against Juan Soto, where you're talking about Juan Soto is going to be one of the best baseball players of his generation, uh, you know, projected wise, you know, if he stays healthy, yes. he keeps doing what he's doing. He's unbelievable. But, you know, that at Pat was just like two dudes who were really good and they were smiling and laughing with each other, having fun. Like, that's what baseball's all about. Have fun. And Stroman, you know, said it after the game, you know, I'm going to get to tell my kids I face that guy. Right. Yeah. And there's he doesn't have any weaknesses. Like, I cannot I cannot believe he didn't swing at that whatever the count was, that change up. And like the guy has no weaknesses and that's what makes it fun. And that's the mentality. Like he's not afraid or he's not timid of going up against a guy like Juan Soto. He welcomes that. And he's like, that's the fun part is like, can I get a guy out who has no weakness? Like the dude doesn't chase these pitches. He doesn't have a a cold spot of the zone. And that just that competitor's mentality is what I love about him. Yeah. Same here. And, you know, you hit the nail on the head with, with growing the game and, and moving forward in baseball and, and guys want to see, you know, we don't want to see the same straight face every time. It's, it's fun seeing a guy pitch with some emotion, both, you know, fiery and just him showing that he's having a blast out there. Yeah. How many times you see a pitcher smiling when yeah. a hitter lays off one of the grossest pitches he's right. ever thrown. Right. Yeah. You, and- usually you see a guy, he's pretty, he's pretty pissed off that like, Hey, yeah. you should have swung at that. But he's like, no, this is, this is a fun at bat. This is, it's a challenge. He's a, yeah. he's one of the better pitchers, you know, in the game, some ridiculous stuff. And he's getting challenged out there, which he won't, you know, those hitters are going to challenge him, but not like that. That was just ridiculous. Yeah. And, you know, just kind of talking about that mentality and, you know, being a competitor, I think that's a really, it's a, it sets a really good theme for our guests today. Um, because the guest today who will be here any minute now, Andrew Miziazic, who is a member of, um, you know, he was a freshman when you and I were seniors at Northeastern. And you're talking about a kid who, but he, his mentality on the mound, like that's what makes him so good. And he had, and I don't want to take anything away from him because he has really good pitches. Really good. But stuff, like, yeah. it's not like he's throwing 100. Yeah, not. I think uh, uh, I want to say his senior year, he was he was about 88, 90. Um, he left handed closer. And but you're talking about a dude like closers, you think throwing 100 miles an hour with the 90 mile an hour slider. He doesn't have that. But the thing that makes him so good is he really he doesn't care who's in the box. 
He's going to go after them. He'll take the ball whenever you need him to take the ball. Um, I don't have the stats pulled up, but his senior year, I don't know if it was his junior or senior year at Northeastern. I want to say in 50 games, he had like over 30 appearances, but he took the ball whenever he was asked to take it. And it didn't matter what the situation was. He was going to do everything he could to get those batters out. Yeah. It's something we've talked about before. It's, it's not changing your, it's not changing your approach depending on who's in the box, no matter who's in the box, he's going to pitch his game. He's going to pitch his game. Well, and that's what, you know, I think that's going to make him so successful, you know, has already made him successful, but moving forward, you know, he, he's going to keep that mentality. I know he will. That's just who he is. So, Absolutely. you know, pitching your game is that huge thing and, and his comfort level is ridiculous. Yeah. He's never, you never, you never see him phased. No, he's very composed, even as a freshman, even as a, I think he was a young freshman because he's from New York who um, their dates are kind of funny with school. I think he was 17 when mm -hmm. he came in as a freshman. He was so mature and so composed. Potential rule changes um, coming to the major leagues uh, that they're testing out in the minors, and there's some stuff that they are bringing to the big leagues. Um, I know that the game – so last summer we had the universal DH, and a lot of people want that to stay, but it's not this year. We're already seeing that play um, – you know, effect in spring training. David Price gets a single the other day. It was all laughs and smiles. But I think a guy that you said, uh, I think, played with you in the Cape Cod League, Zach Gallon. He played with you in the yep. Cape. What happened? Yeah. What happened with Zach Gallon? Uh, he's got, a, you know, he's out. He missed a start uh, with a forearm injury. And it was uh, right. a, res a result of swinging, swinging a bat. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. You think about pitchers in the past getting hurt. You know, I'm, I'm all for you know, I, I love the game of baseball, the, you know, we, the way we grew up watching it. But at the same time, you got to think about these these guys now, they're getting paid to pitch and not getting paid to hit. And, yeah. you know, every pitcher's dream is to get up and, you know, get a hit, hit a home run. But if it takes away from your game, if it takes away from, you know, what you're meant to do, kind of makes it tough. So now he's put in a tough spot where, you know, he got injured on his throwing forearm, which is – as you know, a very, very tough Definitely. area, uh, yeah. very sensitive, very important area in pitching. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's thanks to see that he's going to miss. Don't know how much he's going to miss, but he's already missing starts because of this. So, yeah. well, I guess even before I get to the rule changes, I think, um, um, Nick Savale, who's the brother of our old teammate and someone we've talked about in the podcast, Aaron Savale. Uh, Nick is a physical therapist, and I did see him tweet something that um, based on what the reports are that um, I can't remember the exact terminology, but the type of forearm shortness is a good indication. He said that is not something we associate with Tommy John, so don't be too worried. Like, he should yeah. be fine. So I'm glad to hear that. But, I mean, these rule changes, I'm definitely very 50-50 on. Because you, you mentioned talking about – you mentioned um, the game we grew up watching. And you you grew up watching American League Baseball, so it doesn't make a terrible amount of difference to you. I grew yeah. up watching a lot of National League Baseball, and a part of the game was, um, you know, can my pitcher is, – is my pitcher kind of at that teetering point of taking him out or staying in the game? Is he coming up this inning? Am I going to pitch hit for him and then put the new pitcher in a different position? Like, is the pinch hitter going to stay in the field? And now I took out uh, my my five hitter and put the pitcher in. That's what, there's this whole, like, le like intricate level of strategy that goes into it. And 
that doesn't necessarily win or lose baseball games, but that's a part of what made the game interesting to me. When like, you know, you're watching football, you're like, oh, they should run this player. Why would they do that? It kind of is the same thing where as a fan, I enjoyed that. But it's and then the other side of it, like you said, pitchers are getting paid to pitch. Um, mm-hmm. You know, even in the national leagues, you don't touch a baseball bat in the minors until like double or triple A. And even then, like more times than not, you, you, you're bunting. But then you really miss out on like the Madison Bumgarners and the Zach Greinke's mm-hmm. of the world who like love to hit home runs and they just go out there hacking. Love yeah. that. You miss like the Bartolo Cologne moments where it's like, holy shit, Bartolo got a hit. He didn't look like an <laughs> idiot. Um, so there's definitely like it's a 50-50. And I think where yeah. it really changes is on one hand, it's a game. Mm-hmm. And I think for people like you and I, it's a game. And, the, and guys in the league, it's a game. The problem is the game is a business yep. and the business side of things are always going to, maybe not always, but more times than not, they're going to win out and that's going to yeah. change the game. Um, things like the shift um, oh. on one hand, I'm a big fan of it. On the other hand, not so much. Um, I looks like our guest is here. Let's get his thoughts on this. Beauty. Let him in. Yo, what up, Miz? What's up, Lip? How you doing? Good, man. How What's you doing? What's up, brother? What's up, Mallory? I didn't see you. There. How you doing? Good, hey, before... I didn't see you at first either. <laughs> there we go. Before we really jump into things, Mallory and I were talking about the, the changes, the new rule changes, and uh, specifically the universal DH and the shift. You're in the minor leagues. This is going to directly affect you right now. We're, we're jumping right into it. And before we even introduce you formally, what right are your into the fire. I mean, Universal DH, I don't have an issue with. Um, I mean, growing up as a Red Sox fan, <clears throat> wouldn't really have David Ortiz's full career without the DH. True. Um, you know, first base, first half of his career, then made the switch over. Um that your baseball traditionalist wanting to keep it, keep uh, keep our NL pitchers hitting. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not opposed to it at all. Um, and then, what was the other one? Extra innings? No, the uh, the shift. Oh, they're, shift. They're, yeah, they're they're trying yeah. to eliminate right. the shift. Yeah, um, I really had too much thought about this one. I've had <clears throat> personal experience pitching with the shift not a huge fan um but that's also with far less data you know that's in right that was in college you know we're trying to work off of of guys having you know 20 games under their belt trying to shift off them um much different right so i don't know i think it's a huge part of the game and strategy i don't i don't necessarily think the shift is ruining baseball like some people might think um, you know, just like feel the teams can adapt and shift their players, you know, hitters can adapt too. So, um, yeah. I don't know. DH, I'm fine with shifts. Gotta, gotta put more thought into it, but I think um, there's, there's, I think in all of us, there's kind of like that 50 and this was, what I was just saying before you got on, there's this, there's this half and half in me. That's very traditionalist, but also yeah. like the modernists where it's like, why wouldn't you let a team use the data at their disposal to win a baseball game? 
right right um but then you talk about you know the way that makes our one of the things that makes our game so cool right now like guys throwing 100 and guys hitting crazy amounts of home runs and all that that's almost what's killing the game in the sense that like when when the three of us were growing up watching baseball you had more action because there was more you know crazy shit happening but now it's like strike out our home run and so the average yeah. person finds that boring um right. so i and i and i don't know it's not the game time. I don't think game time is an issue. They keep talking about game time. That's not the issue. It's how much action is happening in that game. And right. I cannot, I, I understand where some of it's coming from. I don't agree with all of it, but that's discussion for, that could be a whole other podcast. Episode. Right. Yeah. I don't know if you saw, but they're, they're uh, adding in rule change at each level of minor league baseball. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I did see that. Yeah. And we actually had spring training, last year before we all got sent home we were working on the because for low a i think it's for last year's for low a and high it was going to be the the pickoff moves lefty pickoff moves were getting gonna, getting tossed away so uh so we were we spent on the backfields like half hour trying to work on that lefty step off move and i know you got all of us lefties here so have a little hits a little closer to home there there's uh that's right i that's the new rule right i think that's what you're just saying you 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 can't you can't pick can't off traditionally off. as a lefty you have, you have to, to step disengage off the rubber yeah or you Fully have to stay you have to disengage the, that makes zero sense to me um yeah. i get it for i get it for a righty a little bit a little bit and like that's one of the things about we talk about the excitement of the game there's no one stealing bases anymore because that's not a part of the game and a yep. big part of that is because, like, I can't get jumped. This guy's throwing right. 95, so he's getting the ball there much quicker. So forcing him to disengage from the rubber to, to pick off, I'm, I get. But, like, the lefties, that doesn't change the game. Like, that's the way it's always been. I don't right. know. I don't, and maybe – and we're biased. We're all left-handed pitchers. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, we're going to be most frustrated about that, right? He's probably couldn't care yeah. less. So. And then no, there's no, also – Well, there's Sorry. a rule. I'll, I'll let you finish. But the rule – that is also incorporated with that is you can only pick off twice in that bat. And if you pick off a third time, if it does not result in a successful out, it is a balk, which yeah. is absolutely bananas. <laughs> like a sudden death pickoff move there. Like you gotta get what? Yeah. What like that makes zero sense. James, yeah, what were you we'll gonna see. say? I'm sorry. No, you're good. Um, I was just gonna ask, you know, Ms. Obviously, we're all left-handers here. We all work off that move i don't know if it's something that they talked about when you guys were working on it does that change your i mean most righties mix in slide steps i'm guessing that's going to become a, a a you know a common thing now for lefties to be thrown out of that slide step or that abbreviated you know leg lift something like right. that yeah for sure i mean luckily for me always working pretty quick having a quicker delivery yep. it kind of yeah, pays maybe. off um so having that adapting into that slide step won't be as hard for me but i mean there you got your traditional lefty starter high leg kick slow mm -hmm. slower delivery kind of relied on that deceptive pickoff move and now you know it's it's you can't just go high leg kick slow delivery and a step off you got to mix in some like you said some slide step or some some quick yeah. quick knee to knee um, so I think for some guys it can be tough. Luckily for me, stretch only now, you know, work pretty quick. So that'll be something that kind of just getting used to not 
picking off, which is going to be weird. Um, yeah. But, you know, mixing habit. in. What was that? I don't know if I could break that habit. That's just like something that we've always, like since the day we yeah. turned 13 and we, we left the Little League field, that's a part of what we've done. Yeah, I've been at, at the fields I've been throwing at, just mixing in step-off, pick-off moves, and it just feels – I mean, obviously we've always had it, but I've never had to work on that move that much. It's kind of right. crazy. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, we uh, we jumped right in. We, we, we introduced oh, yeah. you before – you came on but let's give a little background um and uh, andrew i believe i'm saying this correctly miziazic correct correct Most people don't know how to pronounce yeah. it correctly andrew nope. miziazic i ended up just putting your name and your name is still just andrew miz in my phone because the first time i heard it i was like yep not even gonna attempt it <laughs> I think that's, that's, miz, that's why miz yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah 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 we got andrew miziazic he's an oceanside new york native but he's a red sox fan which I love. Uh, alumni combo. Northeastern, interesting combo. Alumni Northeastern, you know, like we, we mentioned before, he was a freshman when uh, Isaac and I here were, were seniors. Had the pleasure of watching him pitch for that year and then followed his career after that. Member of the 2018 Harwich Mariners. It was drafted in the 32nd round. He was an all-star. Weren't you an all-star that year? Yeah, Cape All-Star oh, that year. That was awesome. How do I leave that out? <laughs> and, uh, I, I, that was my fault i think I, it, mu it must have been lip. this is come on lip and then we got drafted in the 2019 draft 32nd rounder by the cleveland indians uh still a member of the club today but uh you know as, as we get perch. rolling in, that's right that's right but as we get rolling into it you know we like to start off uh just kind of talking about you know why baseball um you know baseball is obviously a big part of all of our lives but you know, we'd like to hear a little bit about your earliest influences in the game, you know, why you chose baseball over possibly another sport and, and what grew your love for the game. Yeah, and, and why a Red Sox fan growing up in New York? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll touch on that first. That's a quick one. So I was actually born in Massachusetts, um, family in Connecticut and Massachusetts, and then moved to Long Island when I was three. So kind of just used the family ties to New England to, you know, full Boston sports fan, ended up working out growing up <clears throat> as a full Boston sports fan and still, still has its, has had its perks. So, um, but earliest influences. So I have a, not your typical, you know, started playing when I was four, loved the game, uh, typical story that most people seem to have. Um, so I'm not from a, athletic or sporty family at all um <clears throat> mom and dad didn't really play any sports past middle school um grandparents didn't play any sports nothing like that so I played sports all my friends growing up basketball soccer um t-ball and when I was five um and so t-ball played when I was five hated it um told my mom like I never want to play this again probably crying I, I'm sure she has stories of it but um you know t-ball when the ball would get hit in that the third base line and all nine guys are running to the ball um so yeah just uh, first sport memory is just not liking t-ball at all um went and played soccer basketball wasn't 
great, you know, just love playing with my friends and, you know, average player at best. And then I was nine years old. My best friend was in our town's little league. Um, and I went to his game with his dad and we were watching and he had um, his, my best friend was a lefty. So his dad had a spare glove in the car. So he's like, Hey, let's just play some catch on the side. Um, it's probably like a pitching change or something. And we were throwing, throwing, like, I didn't think anything of it. Um, always had a good arm, but never thought anything of it. And he told me after, he's like, Hey, we got to sign you up next year for little league. And I was like, no chance. Like, I associated T-ball with Little League. I'm like, all right, right. Like, no, no chance. Like, I'm fine playing with what I'm playing. Like, I don't want to play. He said, all right. So I guess he talked to my mom behind my back, and they both signed me up for Little League that next year without telling me. <laughs> and then, you know, it's all history from there. Ended up playing that, that year. Loved it after the first week. Um, completely, Obviously completely different from T-ball. Um Started pitching that first year just because I had a great arm. Um, just kind of started from there. And first week playing Little League as nine, nine and a half year old just kind of sparked my my love for the game just right off the bat. So, And that's interesting because I think so often, um, at least I know in my, in my story, and um, we had Berger on uh, in our yeah. last po- episode. It was similar to him we did not want to pitch early in our career and then pitching just kind of came. It sounds like that's something that you enjoyed early on and had success with. And yeah. uh, that, that's, that's, that's cool to hear. Yeah. I'd say with, we just kind of got thrown into the fire right away. Um, just having a good arm, you know, your youth coach can be like, all right, get on the mound and see, see what happens. I was probably playing outfield and first base before that. Played a little third base in my my early little league days too. Um, One of the lucky ones. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> oh yeah, I was off. That was my favorite. Turned double plays at third as a lefty. Yeah. Spinning the wrong way. Oh, yeah. um, it's the dream. Oh yeah, but uh, but yeah, I mean, <clears throat> definitely struggled early on. Like, threw hard, walked a ton of guys, struck out guys. But I just I wouldn't remember know like, anything about walking guys. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, me, oh, me, me either. <laughs> We've all been there. Yeah. Or hitting or hitting guys in the foot with a breaking ball. Oh yeah. Over and over <laughs> and over again. <laughs> Gotta be fastballs. Fastballs only. Yeah. 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 Um but yeah, oh, then God. moving forward, you know, obviously high school ball. Um, you know, one thing we want to take you through, and it's something different for everyone. Obviously, like like you said, you were a pitcher growing up early. Um you know, kind of take us through a little bit about high school and the college recruiting process. You know, how, how did you end up at Northeastern, you know, getting to play with Isaac and I that, you know, we know that's such a great honor to be oh, yeah. able to, uh, yeah, be teammates. There's a few other guys Isaac on that team that were pretty cool. I mean, uh, <laughs> name that. I don't, have we ever mentioned Aaron Savali on this? No, we've never mentioned Aaron Savali. No, no, no we have this, every episode. Okay, this, yeah. I guess. Uh, he got to play oh, with why would big you him? Why pretty would you big No, why would we ever mention him? Uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, take us through that college recruiting process. What was that like for you? Yeah. So I, I got on my, I guess, call it, you know, your high level travel team, um, my sophomore year of high school. So I guess a little later than most guys. Um, 
so started with my sophomore year team called next level um you know kind of getting introduced to the whole college recruiting process you know like I always wanted to play college baseball and professional baseball but again family not in a sports family they're learning along with me on you know what the process looks like so getting on that team is a huge help getting introduced to like what needs to be done you know what tournaments are go to to get seen so sophomore year started that started just reaching out to some schools you know all of us have been there not really knowing where the hell you want to go why you want to go there you know you just see hear about schools in your area hear about schools down south you know kind of just going through that whole process in your mind again not really knowing where you want to go as a 14 15 year old in high school um yeah so started emailing coaches sophomore year obviously you know didn't really hear much um back northeastern being one of them um backtrack a little me and my one of my best friends growing up our freshman year went and toured some schools um and went to boston toward like bc and northeastern and bu and i just fell in love with the campus at northeastern and this is my freshman year of high school not at the time thinking much baseball wise more so like this school is awesome you know did not did not have the academic standard to get in as a i mean good high school student but the the requirements there were pretty top notch for for what I was looking for so that was just to kind of backtrack a little but yeah so email schools um sophomore summer had a good summer you know wasn't really lighting up radar guns at all didn't get much traction just a couple emails back and forth um then my junior year sent another batch of emails out junior summer with that team before the first tournament um Northeastern was one of my top ones that I emailed. Uh, good old Coach Cobb over there um, saw me at my first tournament. I think we were in upstate New York. Um, responded like, "Hey, you know, uh, would love to see your next outing." Um, emailed them back where I'd be. I think we we're in Jersey. Came to that right after that. Kind of scheduled a visit, um, and then kind of the rest is history from there. So, and I think the uh, the lesson to be learned here um and i coach a lot of high school guys and i try to give them advice on this you got what you did i think is the right thing to do you picked the school you didn't pick the team um i made the mistake in high school i picked the team and i was really unhappy and i ended up leaving and transferring to northeastern um and i think if you you got to pick the school you got to pick the school that if if uh your arm fell off tomorrow god forbid would you still want to stay at that school, like without baseball? Exactly. And yep. uh, you made that decision and it really worked out well for you. Um, so we're on Northeastern campus. You're a freshman. I'm a like 30 year old senior. <laughs> um, and James, James is a true senior at that point. I, I think uh, the word phenomenon might be a little too strong of a word, but you came on strong. Um, yeah. And not not personality wise, but like you let your you let your performance speak for you. Um, and I think you had such success your freshman year that it would have been really easy to be lost in the sauce, so to speak. How did you kind of find your like, how did you, you know, after that success, 
how did you temper your expectations or you know, like staying humble and all that? So like, how did you not let that kind of get too big for you? Yeah. I mean, I think coming on my freshman year, um, you know, not really having expectations one way or another, if that makes sense. Like I wasn't, <clears throat> I wasn't coming in expecting to be a weekend starter, but I also wasn't coming in expecting to, you know, get uh, one appearance right for the season. Yeah. You know, like I was coming in, you know, going to grind all fall, winter, and let my play do the talking. I'm more reserved on the field, off the field. You know, I just kind of came in wanting to, like I said, let my play do the talking. And I thought my fall couldn't have went better for me. And that kind of jump started where the coaching staff saw me fitting into the pitching staff. And I didn't really realize that till the season went underway. I was just in like, this is how I throw. I'm throwing well, I should be pitching. And that's kind of what happened. Not until getting older and seeing guys come up as freshmen under me, realizing how, I want to say lucky. I mean, lucky I was to throw well. Obviously, hard work and everything gets put into that. But the way this is my situation played out, like I'm very grateful for just because of how it all played out versus some yeah. guys seeing in super talented, you know, that fall, freshman fall is your time to really show who you are as a player for that first season. So for me coming in, not letting my emotions get the best of me by any means, just getting out there and throwing. And that's what I was brought up by my coaches growing up to do is just you're going out there to throw and compete and, and throw your pitches and if your coaching staff wants you to be a part a big part of that pitching staff then then so be it so your your maturity as I mean I think you were 17 when you were a freshman on campus um yeah just just turned 18 like a couple days on campus yeah so yeah, I mean your maturity, a for a freshman, but also for what we would call like a younger freshman, definitely stood out to the coaches. Definitely stood out to your teammates, and um, it was pretty awesome to watch your success that year, um, both I think in the pen and as a starter. Yeah, no, that was yeah, that was awesome. Just a great year, great great, great group of guys that year. Just and yeah, being able for me, being in the bullpen. Um, with such a wide range of ages. Like, I mean, Lipper, like you said, you know, 30, yeah. 30 year old senior. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I'm like turning 39 this year or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. 50 maybe. <laughs> but yeah. You know, just, just love it. having that, having that wide range in the pen of just ages and, you know, obviously all that time in the bullpen, just getting to talk and hear stories and kind of pick guys brains about just, just how Northeastern's run, even like yeah. I didn't know anything coming in. Really, so. James James like, missed out on that experience of sitting in the bullpen. We uh, we had some deep talks. Anyone who's oh, yeah. ever yep. spent spent time in a bullpen, you get uh, I mean, James, it's not that you've never been in a bullpen, but uh, yeah, that's that all, specific yeah, that's all I'm in now. But yeah, yeah. I, I definitely missed out. I definitely uh, you know, I'd be sitting in the first baseline dugout, just looking out at you guys sitting together and. Yeah chatting it up laughing doing yeah, whatever time you, know, and, and you and, guys uh, you guys you guys have something in common in that you both kind of um started your your college careers as starters but neither of you are starters anymore yeah yeah 
you know, you see it a lot uh, coming into college or even guys after college, you know, making that transition from being a starter, you know, to moving to the bullpen. In your case, you went from a starter to a reliever and then later on a closer. Uh, I guess we'll just, you know, we'd like to hear your, you know, what you thought of the transition going from that starting role, you know, pitching one day a week uh, to, to that reliever role and, and kind of how, how things change for you. Yeah. Or if so, they change at all. Right. So <clears throat> obviously being a starter throughout high school and then coming into Northeastern being that like, you know, mid relief week, weekday starter type of guy was similar to what I knew. Um, you know, I'm, I'm coming out, if I'm coming out the pen, I'm expected to go four innings. Um, so I kind of treated that as a start. Fast forward to sophomore year, um, slated to be the Saturday starter. Um, was fired up about that, ready to go. Um, and that winter. Fitz was the Friday was, guy, right? Yep. Fitzy was the Friday. I was Saturday. I'm trying to think who was Sunday. Is it Ty? I think he was the next or, year. No, Brian. It was Brian. Brian, Brian, yeah, yeah, Brian. That was Brian Sorry. when he he shoved that year. Yeah, um, he did. Um, so yeah, so slated to be the Saturday guy. That winter was dealing with what I thought was groin tightness. Um, go through the season, first couple starts, get absolutely shelled. Velo's down like five miles an hour. I'm attributing it to groin tightness. Not really sure. Um, I think I had three starts. I don't know. Probably gave up. 20 runs and three starts like it was Whoa. it was brutal um every like throwing strikes but everything was just just floating in um didn't feel like myself um ended up getting my what I thought was groin checked out turned out hip impingement and partially torn hip labrum um right. so there was my velo drop I was just that back leg was just sliding down the mound all arm um so that pretty much created my transition from starter to reliever. So uh, met with team doctors, went to a surgeon to talk about it. He basically said, you know, you have pain and discomfort, but it's the tear is already almost pretty much fully torn and the impingement won't get worse. So you can grind out this season or you can get surgery now and take a red shirt and me being in the height of the season, you know, we're a few weeks in, I'm like, screw that. Like I want to grind it out and, and pitch. Um, so took like, took a week off, talked to Glav and we decided like, you know, I'm just going to come out the pen and just grind it out and, and see what happens. Um, so then for the rest of that year, grinding it out, you know, limping between innings, um, <laughs> just, you know, maybe long-term career decision wasn't the best idea, but at the moment, like, I just wanted to win games and, and continue pitching because we had another another great group of guys that year. So that created my transition to the bullpen. Ended up doing really well out the pen, even though, you know, hobbling on one leg, you know, still felt good, able to come in, spin a lot of breaking balls, come in for that one, two-inning span. And then just kind of grinded that season out, got surgery that, that my sophomore summer. Um, so that was my transition, I guess, was kind of forced into it. But my decision, obviously, to grind out that season 
I mean, coaching staff isn't going to have a partially injured lefty throwing 82 as a starter, you know, uh, in conference games, but coming out the pen. Nothing wrong with throwing 82. Nothing wrong with that, but, you know. (laughs) When it's upper 80s to no, 90s I know it's a big difference. To, yeah, especially but, yeah, when you're so, especially when you're starting, you're trying to go you know two three times through that lineup it makes a big difference. Right. Yeah. So yeah. that was my transition. Ended up falling in love with it. You know, being <clears throat> being around the guys in the pen, coming in seventh eighth inning, hand the ball off to the closer. Um, you know, that was kind of where my transition started. Um. And then my junior year, kind of, we had kind of like a two-headed closer with me and Kyle Murphy, and then ended up transitioning to me being the full-time closer about a third of the way through that season. Um, and yeah, just being in the pen, being able to get in games almost every day, um, being in those high high-pressure situations is what I come to learn that I like need. You know, like Mm -hmm. I, I never thought about that role, never closed in my life before college. um, And just kind of those high pressure, high strung situations and knowing Northeastern baseball, we're in those almost every single game. So, (laughs) you know, it's it's a three, three, two, four, two game almost every single time one way or another. So one of the things that that made make you such a good pitcher is that whether it's, uh, you know, three, two count, bottom of the ninth, one run game or 10, nothing or whatever, you would never know what the situation is looking at your, your body language. Right. Um, you're very composed. You don't get uh, terribly animated. Is that something, it sounds like, is that something that kind of came because of the closing? Like that's what made you thrive is that you like that rush. And, but if you like that rush, how did you maintain that, that cool collect composure? It's, that's an interesting combination that, that, that you felt right. like that rush helped you thrive as a pitcher, but you're also not letting it change who you are as a pitcher. Right. So from a younger age in baseball, I was very young. I was very up and down, hot headed, you know, freaking out when I walk guys. This is probably like 10, 11 now once I'm pitching more. And I had one of our coaches for my youth travel team, was a psychiatrist good combo um so he kind of he kind of instilled in me you know ways to control that um you know with breathing i'm a huge believer in in pre-pitch breathing um controlling your breath kind of allowing your body to relax in all situations um so i think that just over time kind of built up and built up creating like my mound um, presence of, you know, calm, collected, but also a competitor. You don't have to see how competitive I am in my head to know that, you know, I'm, I'm in this game in the ninth and I'm ready to shut the door down. But I think the rush and being able to, for me, being able to control those emotions and that rush is what kind of gets me fired up. And like, yeah, I'll get fired up once in a while, big strikeout, you know, big conference game, but it's not like your traditional closer that you think of that's, you know, screaming at the other team's bench after (laughs) the first strikeout of the inning, which is great. I love having teammates like that. Like that's, that gets people fired up. But for me, that would be forced. And, you know, if it comes out naturally, it comes out naturally once in a while. 
But I think for me, like knowing the process of being able to control my breath and kind of control the situation while being amped up, like my heart rate's through the roof. Um, but being able to control that and, you know, stay within myself and just let my mechanics and body do the work, I think is what kind of led me to, to embracing that closer role. I think that's yeah. one of the, one of the things that's so important that I try to preach to my pitchers, you got to the physicality of it. you cannot be part of your thought process in the game. If you're thinking about your mechanics in the game, you're, you're, you're screwed. Right. Everything your body does needs to be second nature at that point because your your focus and your energy needs to go towards your mentality and like the task at hand. The second and, and that's just the importance of practice. And you have a really great work ethic. And you could that that way you get in the game, you can concentrate on your breathing, not concentrate on oh, I need right. to get my back hip into it, or I need to stay directional or whatever it might be. You've done it yes. so many times, you just trust your breathing and you trust your body knows what it needs to do. And, and, you know, you touched on the, on the mentality of, you know, you, you, you thrive off of that adrenaline, you channel it into your game. As far as like a pitch selection, you know, we talk about starters, you have to get through the order two, three times. You know, a lot of guys are relying on a, on a heavier mix of pitches uh, out of the bullpen. Did you change that or, or, you know, transitioning from a starter to a bullpen guy? I know you're a big slider guy. Did you transition the way you approach hitters? Uh, as a reliever, as opposed to a starter? Like how, how did that change for you? Yeah, I think, so my sophomore year, when I did get put in that, you know, late inning relief role, just to come grind in and get outs, the beginning of that, I was still riding with my three pitch mix, fastball slider changeup. And mm -hmm. then, you know, talking to Coach Cobb after some outings, like, hey, you know, it's, that's great for starting. Like you said, you know, you want to, you want to mix it up. You want to, as a starter, be able to show three, four pitches and keep the hitters off balance. And, you know, not that I completely ditched the changeup, but, you know, pitch selection more so as a fastball slider, as a bullpen guy, more pressure to make sure that they're both on, you know, cause mm -hmm. <clears throat> obviously, you know, don't have the slider one day, then it's a 50, 50 chance. And, then they're probably just going to be sitting fastball. But I think mm -hmm. it, it created that pressure to have me hone in my slider that much more um, to be able to be a strong two-pitch mix guy. And then obviously have the change up there as needed, but primarily it became fastball slider. And at that time, it, I wasn't really a conscious thought of it developed into that. But obviously, you know, as you progress through baseball and start learning more of sequencing and pitch yeah. selection, like my, my junior, senior year, and then first year in the pro ball, realizing, you know, that even, even if it is a two pitch mix, like that slider can kind of become two pitches in and of itself, mm -hmm. even three for some guys, same thing with the fastball, you know, spot in and out, you can elevate the fastball that becomes kind of like one and a half pitches now. So, yep. um, Definitely segue into that traditional, you know, you're a one-two inning guy out the pen, hone in on those two pitches and really, really get those to be your pitches. And then obviously stay throwing changeups in the pen, um, weekly pens and, and, you know, warming up before the innings. But just went to the fastball slider and, and like, like most people would expect. So, yeah.
And when you when you face a right-handed hitter, is is that changeup still in, still in the mix? I know I know as a lefty reliever, you're going to face a lot of left-handers. It's just kind of right. you know, especially as you move forward, it becomes you know part of the job. Um, yeah. You still have that changeup in that back pocket for those righties. Right. Yeah, I still have it for the righties, but I'm the weird lefty anomaly, and this was a a big thing getting into pro ball that I had mm-hmm. to really, really, you know try to change is my splits against righties are way better than against lefties um and figured out because i can get my slider to the back back foot slider to a righty very like consistently um whereas with lefties it was just they were seeing it better out of the hand and i made a ton Mm. of small adjustments to kind of fix that but that was my biggest thing so it was like i almost so interesting yeah so There are a lot of, lot of different aspects of that that went into it that I had no idea. And that was a talk that end of the season, me and Clav and Cobb, what can we do to, you know, flip this or, you know, even it out a little bit more. And maybe set, like righties are hit one year, righties are hitting like 140 and lefties are hitting like 275 or something. So you would think that dude, that back foot slider to a righty, that same exact location would be very effective to a lefty. But you're that's saying exactly what we all thought. Yep. And, well, so, and they were, you just felt like they were seeing it out of your hand better. Yeah. So there were adjustments made probably my senior year. And then in the first, first year of pro ball is I was on the third base side of the rubber, like too heavily. Right. So where my arm was coming out was kind of mid mound, made it easier for lefties to see versus where I'm creeping up on that righty on that third base side of the mound, you know, like that. I'm kind of cramming them a little bit more. So it makes them a little more uncomfortable. So Mm -hmm. I started messing around with, you know, lefties up kind of scoot over a little towards like middle first base side. Um, And that, that was a hard adjustment to start, you know, even six inches moving across the rubber is makes a huge difference on, you know, where you feel you're at. Um, But yeah, started messing around with that a little bit because, you know, as a reliever, I mean, like I was quick pitching my senior, like as a reliever, you know, you have the, freedom to kind of mix things up as long as you practice them and stay consistent with them in your pens is you could add a little kind of funk to it and, you know, switch sides of the rubber, you know, quick pitch, leg hold, and, you know, kind of like what guys are doing, like Stroman bigs now, huge on messing with timing and everything. But um, yeah, so that's been my biggest, um, you know, point of emphasis is every little thing I'm doing is overall trying to get that those splits against lefties much better um, obviously helps me overall as a pitcher but that's like the overarching kind of theme we had the one and the only Steve Berger on our podcast yeah I love Berger um, you and James were both really lucky to play in the Cape Cod League and uh, I, I was lucky enough to coach I never got to play in it so and James can is always kind of sheds his light on this too. And to quote him, uh, he says it's the best summer of your life. Um, from a player's perspective, can you tell us what it was like to play in the Cape Cod League? Yeah, I mean, I fully agree with with Mulry there. I mean, you can't can't really beat the experience, um, atmosphere, the skill level, coaches, fan. I mean, like everything just lines up to be like the perfect experience for a higher level baseball player. I mean, it, 
<clears throat> like I said, fans engaging, coaching staff's awesome, travel's nice, uh, host families are great. So just, and obviously some of the best baseball I've ever been a part of. Um, I think Harwich was awesome, you know, Coach Engler, and then you got Berger. Lippert was down there help, helping us out in the pen. Oh, yeah. Um, give, putting, us through, putting us through core workouts every day. Um, <laughs> what, what, what was the difference? Is there a difference between uh, Isaac Lippert, the player, and Isaac Lippert, the coach? Was it hard to differentiate the two? I mean, curious. for me, I mean, he, he wasn't he wasn't much different as uh, yeah. personality wise and, you know, what he talked about. But it was just funny knowing him as a player playing with him my freshman yeah. year and then seeing him as a coach, uh, just assuming that every player there knows him as a player just because yeah. I did. So that that was something that was different. I'm like, just think of really really delicate balance um and you yeah. hear a lot of guys talk about this because they'll go back to their alma mater as a volunteer assistant it's a really delicate balance because a lot of times you're playing with dudes or coaching dudes that you played um i think the cape is such a different experience that i'm not going to try to change who i am especially when i already know i think you and murph were both playing for us yeah, yeah. Um, i'm not going to change who i am i'm not going to change our previous relationship and try to become some hard out coach um i might have been a little too immature when I was coaching there um, and not coachly enough, but I think uh, I definitely, I think one of the things that Berger talked about is being able to have a good relationship with players is the most important thing, sure. especially when you're talking yeah. about the Cape, when you're not their full-time coach. So you right. can't, you can't take on that hard ass. I'm your coach, uh, you know, persona. Yeah. I think if, you know, as a coach there, like you said, it's short, short term, um, you're only dealing with them for a few months. I think having a good relationship goes a long, long way, um, especially because, you know, most guys are going to try to pick everyone's brain for a little something here or there. And if you come off as, you know, I'm trying to change you, then, you know, they're not going to be receptive to taking yeah. anything you say seriously, especially for that short amount of time. So, having that good relationship, like, you know, kind of that buddy, buddy relationship, but also walking that fine line of I'm still a coach, like you said, is tough, but if you can perfect that. Then it's, yeah, then it's kind of game sure. over. Cause you get, you, you make lifelong friends doing it. And also you can learn stuff from each other. So. Yeah. That's something that Berger talked a lot about was the importance of having a, a trust in the relationship with his pitchers and just the advantage he's had of the uh, experiential database of coaching so many pitchers through the Cape Cod League and being able to say, hey, this is something I learned from Andrew Miziadzic in the summer of 2018. Now I can use that and use it with all these other pitchers after him and vice versa. All the guys that came before you, he's able to share that wisdom, that toolbox with you. And I think that's uh, that was one of the, that's one of the things that makes him such a good pitching coach is that sure. he doesn't try to tell you things. He tries to impart knowledge on you. Um, I'm going to shift gears. Um, obviously, this has been a really strange uh, year uh, in our world with COVID. And as I kind of joked about earlier, but it's not really a, a joking matter, a laughing matter. There was a huge purge in the baseball world. I don't know what the percentage is, but a huge number of minor leaguers were cut. Uh, the draft 
last year was cut down big time. You wouldn't have been drafted last year. Um, you were a thirty second rounder, and the 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 draft in our lifetime has gone from like sixty rounds to fifty rounds to forty rounds, and I think it is I think it's going down again. So you you survived the purge. You are still employed with the Cleveland Indian. How have you kind of spent this time to stay ready? And what is your kind of attack plan? What has your attack plan been for this season? And you, if, it, if it starts back in last March, tell us about that. And if, it, if it's shifted, that, that's good too. Yeah, I think initially getting sent home um, in mid-March, I mean, we were at spring training for two weeks, didn't even get to step on a field for a full game yet. Um, so getting sent home initially, it was like, you know, what the hell's going on? Um, you're seeing teams release players right away. T teams are waiting weeks, months to release players. So we were all kind of confused. And that first like week or two, we didn't have much contact with the organization because I mean, they had no idea what was going on too. Um, Got to feel for them a little because they're trying to figure out a million things at once um, coming from the MLB. So my plan was kind of just, I mean, no gyms were available. They weren't for a while. Just kind of stay in shape, um, get to some local fields and just toss into a fence, just keep the arm ready because we didn't know if we were going to come back. Um, I mean, we were in full go, you know, ready to go two, two innings out of the pen in the spring training game. And now we're sitting at home with nothing to do. Um, but yeah, my whole mindset in the beginning part of – quarantine whatever you want to call it was just stay in shape and as I learned more that we weren't going back um start to ramp up throwing a little bit um just to kind of you know simulate somewhat of a partial season um and that was throwing in defenses and garbage cans and, and chairs as catchers for a while um and then we ended up for the canceled season we ended up having um a remote coaching model. So we broke out into affiliates over zoom, basically um, would have weekly meetings, some educational meeting stuff. Um, and then had a lot of back and forth with my assigned pitching coach of sending way to ball videos, sending general throwing videos. And then when I would get up on a flat ground or mound videos back and forth. So that was huge for me just to kind of keep my mind at ease and not doing everything alone. Um, just kind of working on the things that were, I was working on the previous end of the season and at spring training, just kind of keeping my goals, um, allowing, attacking my goals through that weird canceled COVID season. Um, and then once that remote season ended, kind of laid off for a couple of weeks of throwing and now it's like, okay, now it's a real off season again. So I kind of went from full off season. I went full off season to two weeks spring training to an entire full season of no games to then now not full off season again. Um, so my mindset of that was just like, you just grind it out. People are getting released. I'm lucky to still have a job here um, and keep working on the things I can work on. And as things opened up, I'm able to attack my goals more so and not have to you know, throw into garbage cans or tie a resistance band around a fence to make a strike zone. Um, and then, 
yeah, pretty much now. I mean, hopefully we'll be reporting in, in a, a week or so uh, for minor league spring training and just kind of been grinding it out this whole time. So I guess really it's just been a, a mindset thing. You know, you can only adapt to so much and create so much and order free weights to your house and, you know, throw in defenses and walls all the time. And it's just kind of keeping yourself from going crazy in your brain. And that's just kind of where I'm at now. And being able to throw to catchers is like a blessing now. And it, it shouldn't be, but it, it kind of opened up my mind to, you know, you can, you can really get a lot better without having really many resources. Like, I'm so glad that you say that because I mean, you, you do always hear the kind of like, Oh, well, this guy from the Dominican grew up throwing coconuts or, or they, uh, you know, Mariano Rivera shows you how to make his cardboard glove. And that is, those are awesome lessons, but I think they're not always accessible for kids who've never understood that, that type of poverty. Um, it's really, I'm sure it resonates with a ton of people, but to hear someone like yourself say, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm being paid to play professional baseball and I was throwing at trash cans, I was throwing at tires. I have players who will say, oh, I, I didn't long toss because I didn't have anyone to throw with or oh, my dad can't throw that far. It's like, th there shouldn't be an excuse. Go to the field. Yeah. If you have a bucket of balls, if you have a field or a net, you can do it. Um, yeah. If you want to get better, you're going to find a way, a way to get better. I know I saw videos during the early part of the pandemic. People made their own like barbells using concrete and like PVC. Like they filled yeah. PVC pipe with concrete. They made the concrete you know, plates, they, they, you'll find a way you found a way you were doing workouts in your apartment. You were throwing to trash cans. You're throwing the, the bins. It gives you such a, an appreciation. I'm sure. Like you said, you, you have a catcher and you're like, Oh, oh my God, this is amazing. Right. And hitting a spot when there's a catcher actually giving me a target now is so much easier. Oh yeah. I think just like you said, the appreciation for having a catcher and like, you know, high school kids aren't really going to think about that if they've had a catcher to throw with their entire lives and yeah, having this time to adapt and figure out stuff for yourself and realize like you don't need a catcher. Obviously it helps to simulate a game experience, but like, like you said, Lipper, like, you know, I couldn't long toss cause I don't have someone to throw with. Like there are plenty of fences around aim up in the top of the fence or go to a field with a bucket and just long toss on a football field, throw your 20 baseballs, go get them and flip it the other way. So um, I think this created a lot of opportunity for a bunch of minor league guys that I've been in contact with and myself to realize like, you know, stuff happens, gyms closed for whatever reason, you know, your facility that you work out at, has to shut down because of a leak or something like you can still get your throwing in somewhere and figure out a way. Like I saw guys throwing weighted balls into mattresses against their doors. Like, yeah, I saw that like, too. It, yeah. Like people are getting better in a, a five by five bedroom because you know, they have to, but also it opens opportunity for realizing like you can get your work in without someone else not all the time but if it needs to happen then go go get after it so absolutely yeah and i mean you kind of you, you touched upon a lot of it you know the, a lot of people obviously everything going on in the world is has a lot of negative but you know we're, we're obviously positive thinkers if you could pick out one thing you know you talked about you know finding 
and appreciation for a lot of things, finding new inventive ways to, you know, to get better, to, to grow. Um, you know, obviously there wasn't a season last year, you know, you got to find ways to get better. Uh, what was your biggest positive out of not having a season? You know, a lot of guys will, will flip it yeah. and say it was a negative thing. You didn't get to play. You didn't get those in-game right. experiences. If you could pick one thing that you took as, as the biggest positive, whether it be, you know, working on something new that you couldn't have in season, like what, what was your biggest positive out of, out of that shutdown? Yeah, I think overarching theme is like with no games, I was able to work on so many little things mechanically that there's no chance I wouldn't have been able would have been able to touch upon all those in a in a season. Yeah. So like you know as you get to higher levels there are guys who completely revamp their mechanics and you know switch up everything but mostly it's guys fine tuning really small things that add up to bigger to bigger results and that's hard to do while you're you know as a reliever you're going you can be going every other game for an inning or two innings one day two days off and then an inning on the fourth day so you don't really have a, a, a opportunity to you know go and throw a, a 35 pitch bullpen in season and you know either work on pitch shaping a ton I mean obviously the off season is time for that but having all this extra time was great just kind of touching on small mechanical cues because one of my overall goals that has been going on I guess since since my short season draft year was getting my spin efficiency maximized um, and you know I'm a high spin rate guy on my fastball but coming in to pro ball finding out that my spin efficiency was all over the place was good to see because you know allows me to adapt and realize what needs to be done but all that stuff is done through my mechanics and it's all tiny tiny changes so yeah I'm glad you mentioned that because it is so subjective so and you you use the words trying to get my the most out of my spin efficiency and I'm a high spin rate guy but like you know it is so subjective because I might have a guy throwing with an 80 percent spin efficiency but maybe that's what makes him good. Like maybe the fact that he's cutting the ball and he has a lower spin rate, maybe that's what makes him good. So I don't want him to try to throw it straighter, but you have high spin rate. So you're going to be most effective when your spin efficiency is closer to 100 because it's going to, yep. you're going to get more vertical break. So like that's, I'm very glad that you, you recognize and you mentioned like those are the two aspects. If you have a lower spin rate and you're throwing 85% your spin efficiency and that little cut is what's making you successful. Don't change that. But yeah. So I, I'm, I'm glad you, you, you're using the, you're using, it sounds like they're educating you. You're using the metrics, sure. but you, you can't put too much stock into it, but yeah. understanding that for you, that's, what's going to make you better and making those changes. So I, that's, I love hearing that. Yeah. I, I, that's a huge back and forth. I've gone in, in my head is, you know, in, in pro baseball and now it's, filtering down to college high school even like i feel like jv middle school well, almost, i'm a like, high school coach and a high school pitcher and develop I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a high school coach and i develop high school pitchers and i'm sitting here talking about so yeah it's filtering down right big time yeah so it's filtered down a ton i mean 
like very recently, the last like year or two, I feel yes. like it's, it's really, nice. really hit a hard with the data, just an over an influx of data. And I think it's great. But like to your point, you you have to be kind of picky about it and yeah. you, you got to take it all with a grain of salt and make sure that it is helping you either attack a weakness or improve a strength like yes like if you if there's a guy with a high spin rate and a low efficiency like you said but he's shoving and can paint the corners of this fastball and it, and it runs a ton and or it cuts and you know and you try to make him a super efficient guy that might flatten out his fastball and he might lose some spin so it's like like not everyone could be an up in the zone fastball guy breaking ball down and that's kind of where I'm leaning towards is, is being able to more consistently get, uh, get some four seams up in the zone and then work sliders off that. But that is not everyone. And no. I think with the, like, there's so much data out there. And I think I'm glad that I went through high school and majority of college without a lot of it. I wish I did at some points, but overall, I'm glad I didn't, but having access to it now is, is amazing seeing understanding why you know some of your own pitches do what they do and why they are so successful or why they're so unsuccessful but I think there's definitely a fine line and you really have to go through a lot of the data and and take a long hard think about like what it means for you as a pitcher and you and you know obviously you you've had one season under your belt we had the year off you know, one thing I actually throw with uh, one of your boys, Serafino Brito. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah I remember he's, he, yeah, he's, last year he mentioned you. Remember that? Yeah, he's down here. And, you know, I got to, you know, obviously, you know, I haven't I haven't played any affiliated ball to, to this point. And, and, you know, Isaac's in the same boat. And, and, you know, I've I've talked with him about some stuff he's learned and, you know, some mechanical changes, just like shifts in his back foot that helped him be more efficient. We talk about, you know, pitch grip, stuff like that. Um so far in the minors, you know, what's, is there one biggest thing you've learned? Is there one adjustment that they've made? And it could be anything from mechanics to pitches. I know you've touched a lot about, about, um, you know, the technology in the game and what you've been learning. Um, what's one of your biggest lessons learned so far? Yeah. With, with your um, minor league experience. My thing is the biggest thing for me is my slider. So in college, mm -hmm. you know, it's, if you don't throw strikes, you're not pitching. Um, and if, if and even to a point where if you fall behind and counts consistently, that's one step where you're like kind of one foot out out the door. Because um, you know it's all about winning games, and you have so many pitchers. I mean, it's always about winning games, but college is like if you're walking a guy or two, like you're out of the game. So. You got For 50 me, games, that, and if you lose, you know, losing one or two of those can be the right. difference. It's right. such a small, especially, yeah. Right. Especially in conference. Like every conference yes. is a whole new level. So for me, that adapted my slider to be more, you know, get me over in the zone, flip it in the zone, get ahead of guys with the slider and allow everything else to kind of kind of come. And then, you know, maybe spike one down in the zone when I'm ahead and I know the guy is going to swing happy hit, right? So that is how I adapted to throwing strikes in college and getting guys out in college. And 
getting into pro ball, my slider is a little loopier, you know, more slurvy. Um, that doesn't fly at the higher level. So the biggest adjustment for me is really, you know, picking guys' brains that I played with, coaches, players that, um, and kind of messing around with grips of the slider, movement of the slider, um, and really honing in on that to have it harder, sharper, um, still be able to get it in the zone, obviously, but keep that tighter, sharper slider, keep that same sharpness when I'm spiking it down for a swing and miss pitch, but also keeping that same thing in the zone. Um, so I think for me, that's, that was the biggest adjustment that I had to make aside from getting my spin efficiency up. Cause um, that's obviously a big one for me, but definitely the, you know, having more swing and miss stuff and you can, you can miss out of the zone with really good stuff and get a lot of swing still. Whereas in college, you know, even college hitters are more seasoned, you know, work counts a little more. We got to get guys on base and play that type of game where, you know, minor league baseball obviously about winning, but it's about getting better to win at your major league level. Like you want to help that ML, that major league team win games. So, you know, a lot more focus on development in minor league baseball. So it's, you really got to pick and choose your battles and, and take a, take a few things to take with you um, and really get better on that. So for me, it's messing with the slider grip and it's feeling a lot better this year. And that's another thing with this, with this no season of 2020 was I really got to mess around with dozens of slider grips, different finger pressures, different cues on where I'm picking up my target. And, and it's definitely paying off these last few months of having it, you know, where I want it to be. So I'm going to, I'm going to comment on two things you said. Um, one of them I think has been an ongoing theme. This is our third episode and something that um, James was actually my, was our first guest. Yeah. Um, Berger was our second guest. You're now our third. Something that all three of you have said and had success doing is learning from other people no matter where you're at, whether it's the Cape Cod League, Minor League Baseball, the Australian League, D3, it doesn't matter. You guys seem to have a lot of success of picking other people's brains and learning what helps for them to see if it's going to work for you and just building your experiential database, building your toolbox and figuring things out, being your own best coach, which that term I try to use with my players all the time. Be your own best coach. I can give you the tools, but you have to build the house. The second thing that you just said, and this takes us back to what we were talking about, talking about when you first got on with kind of like how the game's changing and how things are, are we're trying to change the game. 15, 20 years ago, the approach, like the money ball approach was work, work counts, get the starter out of the game, get to the bullpen, right? And the game is never going to go back to that. And the reason why we don't see that as much anymore is because if you get out the starter out of the game, you've got a stable of dudes throwing 97 to hundred miles an hour. Whereas 15 years ago, you maybe had one dude doing that. Yeah. And um, that's just a comment I wanted to make because, and you just don't see that happening anymore because the game is just not what it was. And so I think they're trying to curve, curve what the game rules are to try to get back to that like excitement. But the matter of the fact is, unless you move the mound back or down, dudes are going to be throwing harder and striking dudes out left and right. Um, right. So I know there's talks about moving the mound back, which 
I don't know about. Uh, um, but uh, that that is the, the game is going to be what it is as long as the development continues to progress. Right. Exactly. Yeah, well, I think learning from other people is definitely the most important thing. Like you're around guys that are better than you at something at every point at one specific aspect of the game. So asking what their grip is or what they're thinking about here, sequencing anything or in the weight room or, or stretching any prep work is, you know, picking and choosing from, from the guys around you is the most valuable thing. I think I can offer as advice to any, any, aspiring athlete of any sport especially baseball obviously but it's just you know you can learn so much from the guys you in what they're doing in as small as you know I don't know how they how they run I don't know like as little as or what they're thinking about when they're in the bullpen like anything can help such a long way and if you hate it and what they do doesn't resonate with you then move on on to the it next doesn't thing. hurt so you didn't lose anything that's just something that i no 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 not at all so that, that's just that's something that i live by and a lot of the guys that i've played with in my first season have lived by and it's nice to be around people like that you know it's it doesn't hurt to ask and you know got to have a little humility and, and stay humble and learning all the time so awesome man Hey, it has been an absolute yeah. pleasure thank you so much for taking time out of your day to speak with us uh, before we let you go, there's one question we ask every one of our guests. All right, you're, uh, you're building your perfect World Series starting rotation, right? We want to ask you for, for three stars to be from any era, you know, any you know, any time period, whether it be ours where we grew up watching or from before, but just pick three starters. You get a three-man rotation going in the World Series. Who are they? I'll go Pedro. It's a good, yep. it's a popular pick. Love it. R Randy Johnson. Love Probably popular one. pick. And this one's biased. He's my favorite pitcher growing up. John Lester. Love it. Just a gr absolute grinder. I think it goes to show you the that we are all kind of from the same generation because your three were all brought up in Mulry's and mine three. Um, I think okay. James had Pedro and Lester. But Lester might have been your um, your honorable mention. Yeah, but I had Randy Johnson in mine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Interested to see what younger guys will say. It's get a high school guy yeah. see what he says. So yeah, and, Bauer probably. And Andrew, I, I need to ask. Um, you, you picked those really quickly. So we're going to, we're going to ask you to throw closer in there. And Mariano Rivera is the auto pick. You're not picking yeah. anyone else, okay. right? Like that's the auto pick. So yeah. Mariano tears his ACL. Who are you going yeah. to? Billy Wagner, Wagner, hands down. Love Billy it. Wagner. <laughs> love it. He deserves to be in the hall of fame. Big time. Are we a lefty podcast or are we a lefty podcast? Yeah, we are right. a lefty Two podcast. Lefties and Billy um, three out of four lefties. We um our next our next guest is going to be our first non-lefty. Before we uh before we sign off here, uh we'll let the fans know uh the Insta and the Twitter are both the same. Correct me if I'm wrong. Andrew Miz twenty four. That's uh Andrew M I Z two four. That is both your your Twitter and your Instagram handle. 
Yeah. Uh, go check him out. He's playing. Uh, have you been placed with the Mahoning Scrappers, I believe? Uh, no. So that was one of the teams that I actually got got cut. That's where I ended My up bad. in 2019. But uh, no, <laughs> so not placed yet. Head out to spring training. All right. Um, and I'll cut this see, part see out. where we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, bud. Yeah, the, the, the beauty of it is he can do whatever he wants. So I can cut out everything. Yeah, that he, James can, said. he can make him make him see <laughs> however he wants. It. It's, a, it's a beautiful thing. Hey, man, um, it was an absolute pleasure seeing you. Great hearing, you know, your story and, and your approach. And, you know, we're excited to follow you this year. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, obviously, first year back in baseball, it's going to be an exciting year. And, you know, we're looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. thanks for having me. It's been and awesome. We'll, we'll, we'll have you back on when you make the bigs. There we go. <laughs> yeah, buddy. we could even have you between that, but yeah, we can have you before then too. Yeah, yeah. we don't. Like we don't. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll love we to have you back too on. Price, we don't want you getting too pricey on us. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, well, maybe by the time you make the big leagues, we'll have fifty fans instead of ten. Uh, we'll find yeah, there we out. go. <laughs> Small so, goal. Uh, all right. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. It's been a pleasure to have another uh, awesome player on the Lights Out Pitching Podcast. And we'll see.